Welcome to Ahali, a series of conversations where I, Can Altay, meet with ear-opening thinkers, artists, creators, and designers to discuss the future of cultural production. Let's start with what Ahali means. It refers to a community that flows, that doesn't have boundaries, yet nevertheless producing a meaningful togetherness. Ahali is freed from the binding understanding of kinship, origin, or belief. It's about a culture of being together. Ahali generates a knowledge that is not fixed and always open for newcomers. So welcome to Ahali Conversations. If you still think that graphic design is merely a responsive service, Zach Kais is one of the people who have turned that idea upside down and claimed the practice as a collaboration on shaping culture and making meaning. Our guest, Zach Kais, is a graphic designer and creative director of the Zach Group, operating from London. He was formerly the art director of the Architectural Association School of Architecture and the co-founder of the Bedford Press imprint under AA Publications. We talked with Zach on how he established himself as a cultural producer, the importance of collaboration, and his take on what authorship in design refers to. Zach gives us valuable insight on both the current and future practice of design, the importance of learning from other fields, and how to remain active when the cultural realm is under duress. Really great to join uh, you guys. I guess that's like one of the few positive outcomes of this very difficult situation that we're all in currently is to have a kind of encounter that you might not normally have. Totally. And thanks so much for taking the time to join us. Basically, because we are all kind of under lockdown in different places around the world, but mostly at home, we started reflecting on the current situation and what it might mean for the immediate aftermath of uh, exhibition making. And through this series of conversations, it evolved into more kind of discussions around institutional practice, artistic work, but also in general various kind of curatorial questions as well. I really wanted to invite you because for a long time you've been collaborating with both cultural producers and cultural institutions, uh, whether through publications, visual identity or graphic design. And as a practitioner, I know you value this notion of working with, which was even one of your books and exhibitions title. I think a great starting point is this book Chung you're also involved in called Zach Kai's Working With. And it was kind of my response to an invitation to present my work, which uh, as a graphic designer requires a whole set of different considerations because the work of a designer is not typically produced for display within a cultural institution. Very often it's, it's actually outside of the cultural institution communicating what's inside. So this inversion was interesting for me to question. And the way that I kind of thought of the exhibition, which was back in 2012, was to think about it as a format to enable collaboration and as a catalyst. And I used that to bring together a series of works that I had made as a designer, but also contributors and collaborators that I've worked with in the past. And for each of those practitioners, I invited them to create something specifically for the exhibition, which related to the kind of prosthesis or the instruments of an exhibition. So for example, or of an institution in general. So for example, someone designed uh, the captions and the typeface for the captions. Someone designed a publication. 
Chong hosted a workshop, an artist designed a poster. So it was rather about looking at the tools that institutions use to give shape to culture. And that's something that I can talk about more and present those individual tools within the exhibition. And in doing that, one of the things that it kind of pointed to and highlighted was how graphic design, uh, which is my practice and my background, is a way to mediate other disciplines. And I found that to be an interesting position to be in. So graphic design is a process that is mediated and mediates, basically. And I think that question is quite central to cultural production in general, because we're all working with other people. It's very difficult to now find a field where you can work exclusively kind of independently or on your own. So that was like my attempt to try to expand collaboration from like a pragmatic relationship of two people working together, many people working together to a joint development of content, let's say. And that's kind of mediation that takes place in various media also becomes the tool. And you've been also engaged with publishing before. And you were involved with the Architectural Association and the Bedford Press in particular, which during the time generated super interesting publications. And then you shifted more towards uh, independent practice, so to say. During that time, I, I mean, more and more, I also tend to see cultural production as a wider territory. Mm-hmm. And it certainly includes design, but also maybe other fields, uh, yeah. even like music, fashion, which have the potential to contribute and define. So you've been collaborating in and out of these fields more and more. Uh, do you see or do you observe any potentials for exhibition making practices that we can learn from these fields or how has it been for you to navigate? I mean, maybe I can just start before getting to the question of the kind of possibilities for exhibition practices to learn from the design field. I can tell you just a little bit like the trajectory that kind of got me to the thinking where I am now. What I guess one of the real reasons that I became a, a graphic designer was to make books and in a way to kind of write the next chapter of our kind of cultural moment. And even if writing for me is not the kind of textual activity, it's rather about giving shape to culture. And so books for me were the shortcut, was the most direct way to participate in that process. In that capacity, I, as Chan said, I art directed a school of architecture for 10 years and started a publishing imprint there. This school, the Architectural Association, is is quite unique. And when it was founded, it was founded by a kind of rebellious group of students within actually a publication. So they published this kind of articles of association and created an educational structure. So that was also where I realized that collaboration was kind of forced, uh, that design forces collaboration and was working within the school, I was constantly working with other departments, exhibition departments, public programs, etc. So collaboration was a kind of necessity. And then as a designer, your, your role is like a synthesizer that needs to combine and consolidate information, words, images, ideas from different fields and kind of compile them and also convene teams that can implement your vision. So that was how I started as a designer. And 
in parallel, I had, had run my own practice and I started to realize through that experience that my kind of understanding of culture or of the cultural field also began to evolve. So in the beginning, it was really like books and visual art was my, my understanding of, of the cultural field. And then through that, I realized that culture can be the entire system of creating meaning. So that should not exclude even a commercial field, for example, fashion or music, where objects are created and imbued with meaning. So I became interested in expanding and maybe also testing the limits to a degree of how we can produce culture and how designers can also be someone that is not just deciding what an object looks like, but also helping decide how things should be in the future. Fantastic. You were also among the first to react to the pandemic with your Culture is Not Cancelled campaign. Maybe you can tell us a bit about that. Yeah, the pandemic, I think, was a, a real shock to the system uh, and something that we're still trying to make sense of. And the day... I think it was the Monday after we had first closed the studio. I felt it was somehow important to respond to the current situation. And it started not as a, as a campaign, but just as a way of kind of responding to the, the current moment. There's a great quote by Kippenberger, think today, finish tomorrow. So I, I like the idea that you can have a thought and put it out there very quickly. And so I had posted something on Instagram that said, culture is not canceled. As a caption, I said something to the effect that for me, culture is designed for contact and without contact, our kind of cultural life and also our livelihoods are in danger. And it was at the moment where I really saw the potential for cultural projects to be canceled, culture perhaps like with a lowercase c. And if that was the mentality that culture with a capital C could also risk being canceled. And I think you can see that now with a number of institutions that are themselves struggling. And so many of the formats through which culture is expressed are now not accessible to us. So that was where it started. Uh, and then there was a response to it that was encouraging. It seemed to resonate as a message to people from cultural producers from different fields. And they responded to it in a way that showed us that there was a possibility for turning this into a campaign that could be used as a kind of advocacy message. So calling on commissioners not to cancel if at all possible, and also advocating for cooperation and solidarity within the cultural field. And I think that kind of idea of cooperation is one of the big lessons I think that we're all learning now and maybe one of the kind of new possibilities that I hope becomes a uh, the new normal once we transition out of the current situation. Yeah, I mean, I, I really hope that some aspects of how we went through this time, like our conversation now, I really hope that it continues after and that obviously everybody is very eager to return to some form of normalization. But on the other hand, there are also certain high points of this process. And in that sense, uh, how would you assess the way cultural and maybe in particular art institutions reacted to this pandemic? Are there any high or low points that stayed with you or any remarks on like kind of practices that are taking place? I think one of the interesting things in the absence of 
official guidelines in the beginning, everyone was having to act as kind of individuals, even institutions, even governments. So what it meant for myself is that, you know, I was in London considering when I need to close the office. And I was always like looking at the tape, you know, just so if the tape was closed, I thought like, surely I have to close. And then I realized I have to close before the tape. And so then I realized that there was a, a huge disparity in the ways in which institutions were reacting. In terms of like examples of projects that have like successfully transitioned online, maybe apart from the, the specific projects, what I think is really amazing is like the generosity through which people have given their time to institutions to, you know, engage in conversations. I'm sure you've all been inundated with like Instagram live conversations, but I think that's one area that has been successful. I haven't necessarily seen so many examples of ways in which exhibitions have been able to respond to the current situation. There have been a number of attempts, but I haven't seen super convincing examples of that, but I'd be interested to know your thoughts. Yeah, me neither. But one of the things we've been speculating on is whether also other modes of practice and even maybe other modes of institutions can emerge from outside the confines of the museum or the gallery walls. Or another point that was raised was to whether we can think of a question of compatibility with the uh, current public spaces that we have access to and that culture can kind of sprout from there or can be taking place there. And also, I think one thing we were discussing today is the need for a plan B, perhaps, uh, in terms of cultural institutions, because I don't think this will be the first, nor definitely not the last crisis. Maybe it yeah. was the first. So a kind of faster response ability and not self-enclosing, but also not over-promoting the absence of activity in a way by a bombardment of information, which some institutions did. But there were discussion of how to incorporate archives and so many possibilities, but in a way, we don't also have solid proposal, mm -hmm. so to say. And it's hard. I mean, it is yeah. definitely hard. One thing that I've I've kind of noticed is that the kind of quarantine in general made me realize that some people are actually quite well suited for it. Mm. There are some people who can kind of thrive in this kind of environment and there are others who it is simply not in their disposition and really struggle emotionally, uh, etc. And I think you can also see that in terms of media. There are some media that lend themselves well, are able to be effective in the current climate where we, we don't have contact with institutions. And surprisingly enough, performance, music, these types of visual and audio-based practices can be successful. And I was discussing with friends recently some examples of artists using television and broadcast, like WGBH Boston did a really avant-garde program of artist broadcasts. And there are some maybe earlier models when technologies were at this kind of tipping point and interesting results came out of them. You know, there were fantastic Namjung Paik TV projects and performances. I think the famous Chris Burden crawling on glass was also by WGBH Boston. And more recently, a friend of mine 
worked on a series of projects at Tate, which were called Performance Room. And that was basically a, a, a space that was offered to an artist who would create a performance that would be broadcast to an online audience exclusively. And that was more about being live, which is uh, another, another question. But those are kind of models that we've come across previously that can point to some possibilities, I suppose. Very interesting. And in terms of your own work, I don't know if you were working on a particular cultural project at the moment, but how are those? Are they at a pause or are you rethinking maybe some of the trajectories? I don't know, again, if you have something going on at the moment with regard. Yeah, I mean, many of our projects have been delayed or, or put on hold or are just kind of frozen. So that's something that we're struggling to resolve now. When institutions closed down in Germany, we were just working on the foyer of, our, of a museum for Moderne Kunst in, in Frankfurt. And so this was like a project that was like a, a spatial project where people congregate in a museum. So it was exactly the, the kind of worst project that you could be doing at the time. So this was something that from a logistical perspective, we had to kind of re rethink. And in terms of other work, I mean, as graphic designers, I think we're somewhat fortunate that our kind of studio practice is, is quite mobile. That's not the case for everyone. And perhaps as depending on your practices, you've noticed that it's, it's more difficult than others. So that's been our kind of experience. But we've also been speculating kind of in our own ways and thinking about like what we can take from this. And I think one of the big things that we can take from it is, is this idea of community, which I think we all probably knew was important before, but now it's just been such a clear realization that we're all kind of in this together and we're all equally vulnerable. As designers, we're working independently from other studios. And I feel now that there's maybe a new possibility for kind of working together. And I don't know if it means developing new kind of models or associations to work with. It just doesn't seem to make sense anymore that there are so many, for example, small independent studios that are all going through the, the same problems and struggling to come to the same realization. So it seems like there's a new need for a community. I think that's a brilliant point. And also, in a way that... I think it's a cue for us as well that it's not necessarily only about thinking of outcome or the output or the product uh, of these practices, but the actuality of practicing in the cultural realm as an artist, curator, designer, whatever, whichever this moment necessitates reflecting on our modes of practice and the way we perform these disciplines or professions as well. So that's a really good point. Is there something particular taking shape there or is more like initial ideas? It's just kind of uh, initial ideas at this stage, I, I would think. The kind of idea of a collective is something that is like attractive as a model now and to think of ways in which these many small parts could kind of come together. I guess that's what I'm speculating about now. Very interesting. So maybe we can open up for questions from the group. I'm sure there are some points that they want to contribute or raise. I was talking this morning with Professor Khan. For example, here in Italy, the Museum of Contemporary Art in Bologna 
the director Lorenzo Balbi decided to transform some of the spaces inside of the museum because right now they are still closed. And uh, he created this open call for artists to move for a temporal period of time, their studios inside the museum. So as soon as, let's say, the audience cannot go inside the museum, uh, the artists can go inside and work in the museum and share mm -hmm. the content. And uh, as a strategy to not just shut down the institution, but to create new content. Because especially in dark times, I think that it's important that the culture should uh, try at least to give some response to this period. And I found really interesting that in your project, Culture is Not Cancelled, you create this as an open source uh, possibilities. That's a great example also of uh, being able to quickly respond to the situation and to kind of totally invert the model of the spatial logic, the entire logic of an institution. That's really Good, great example. And I also found that with our idea to make an open source campaign, it was also to find like communication tools, because I think that's a field that we work in essentially, is to think about how to kind of give shape to meaning and messages. And so that was something that we could at least offer to institutions and artists and cultural producers. I, I agree with your point that you know, this is a kind of ecosystem. The artists obviously need institutions, but the institutions also need artists. So if we don't keep this balance uh, in mind, then it will be bad news for, for everybody. I want to touch on this question of shape and shaping and form, because you've mentioned quite a bit, and whether this can also evolve into an idea of in a way, collective form giving or collectively shaping or opening up that process of shaping into multiple authors as well. It's an interesting idea. I'm thinking about this idea of collective shaping that you mentioned. Are there, have you thought about that in relationship to education is one, is one area where I think that is, that is very relevant? Have you thought about are there examples or? No, I mean, on a more theoretical level, there is the fact that actually we are not the only producers. Also materially, like the materials themselves keep forming, like wood, yeah. orbs, metal rust, like on a very basic yeah. ontological level. So things keep forming. On a more social level, that's been the dream of like participatory design challenges from the 60s and 70s. But uh, all ended, I don't mean to generalize, but almost scripts on their own. So as you said, this question of invertibility of the logic or the rescriptability of our spaces and institutions or the forms we produce, whether they can be shaped afterwards as well or intervened or contributed to, that can take place on actually all modes of cultural production. But how is obviously a different question. I mean, you are right in saying education is, but the institutional existence can also be one mode. I mean, there's been attempts, for example, I know the Banabe Museum have tried to incorporate their audience, who they call users or constituencies, to contribute directly to the exhibitions. I mean, one project we worked together on them was 
about also providing some spaces and workshops for the users to you know, produce content or physical commentary on the exhibition kind of thing. We invited Stephen Wright in the past weeks and he was talking about permaculture as a mode of thinking, which means that all kind of components or all actors, all elements are speaking to one another constantly. They're always compatible. So the term permaculture means like a permanent dialogue or? It's coming from like, it's an alternative to agricultural uh, processes. So it's basically imagine a garden where they are not segregated, but each plant you plant is kind of integrated and one feeds another or one Mm. helps another do something. So it's this kind of an integrated system. And he's taking that kind of philosophy from gardening and ecology and thinking whether it can be applied to the cultural and the artistic Mm -hmm. context. Another discussion we had was about also temporality, whether we can think of almost a perennial ongoing projects. I'm not sure if forever lasting things are necessarily good. I think closure is also useful most often. But maybe before we close, let's get back to the question of learning from other fields. I know you are, as your practice by nature, you are kind of entangled and always working with various professions and various disciplines and various cultural producers, as you elaborated very well. But I want to return to the question of exhibition making or exhibition design as a kind of, let's consider it as a category, whether through time you have uh, noted down or learned any particular input from working with people in music, fashion, or other fields. And I guess one of the realizations has been that, I guess, working in the cultural field, that one is constantly working on a spectrum. So in some instances, you might work closer to the design end of the spectrum and in other times closer to an art or exhibition end of the spectrum. So for me, that's been like a kind of liberating uh, realization because it means that one doesn't have to make a conscious decision of doing this or that, but having those different moments which can be more inflected with one discipline than another. I mean, I'm constantly trying to make analogies between what I do as a designer and other fields. So when I try to think about the future, very often I'm looking at other disciplines to try to learn from them. And with architecture, for example, I took a lot from the kind of speculative proposals of architects, the ways that they engaged with books as site of of debate and discourse as a kind of architectural site. So that's just one example of ways that I was able to think differently. And so that's something that I'm, I'm kind of constantly searching for. So that would be partially my answer. And what's your take on authorship? (laughs) In the last minute. (laughs) Well, I guess my take on authorship has changed a lot since I started as like a young designer, let's say. And I saw, I guess, authorship very much as being connected to me. And over time, I realized that authorship, it is always a group activity, no no matter how it is um, portrayed. 
So my studio has the name group in it. It's called Zach Group. And so this is a kind of uh, nod to the fact that there's a group that informs our work and, and that group also includes clients, commissioners, all kinds of, of people um, that help produce our work. So I guess that would be one way in which my idea of, of authorship has changed. And I think maybe it's a good point to end on is the idea of having a setup. And that's something that I've thought about more recently. Have a kind of a certain working setup. You're able to produce work. Sometimes you're more involved than other times. By having a place where you can go and do things or a group of people with whom you can work or just simply tools, that can allow you to kind of experiment with the idea of, of what authorship is. So for me, my, my setup is definitely a design studio. Fantastic. Thanks so much, Zach. I have to say, on the one hand, I feel the same, the way you position it, but also we should underline the fact that people matter a lot and that you, in a sense, have a certain role and responsibility within that uh, network yeah. of people who make things happen. And that's not wrong to take ownership of. And in that sense, yeah. doing an amazing body of work. And I think that's something maybe worth discussing even further. Next time. Looking forward Next to it. Time. Definitely. Great. Thanks so much, guys. Take care. So this was the second episode of Ahali Conversations. If you want to find out more about what we discussed, check out the show notes and visit us at ahali.online and feel free to get in touch if you want to join our Q&A sessions and become a part of Ahali. See you next time. Thank you.